Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. We have Sina Muraji, the founder of Learning Loop, with us today. Where are you? I love that space where you're sitting. Where is that? If you if you don't mind saying, I'd love to share. Um, I'm in Singapore. This is WeWork Nine Battery Road, my favorite co-working space in Singapore. I've been by there. I've never been in there, but I've been by there. You know, it was funny the last time we caught up because it was so random and so serendipitous. But after I saw you, I was like, instead of just standing outside the supermarket like this, maybe we should just have a conversation (laughs) and record it because there are a lot of things I want to ask you about. Thanks again for coming on the show. I feel like something. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. The more thoughtful people I can have on the show, I think the better off the whole ecosystem is, to be fair. I feel like something's changed since the first iteration of Learning Loop, right? Like in the concept of ed tech, I feel like you were going to do one thing and now you've decided, I think I want to do something else instead. So it's not like the learnings that you got from the previous idea aren't there, I think. But what's what are you doing now? What's the iteration? Yeah, I think it's a great observation. So Learning Loop is a peer to peer coaching platform, currently only for startup founders. Essentially, what we do is we put founders in very small groups and facilitate these weekly conversations between them based on what's top of mind for them. Sometimes these are very personal and intimate about just how they feel. Sometimes it's very much work-related, but the goal is to maximize their learning and maximize their luck because building a startup is really hard. Yeah, And most founders don't have anyone in their life that they can consistently talk to about work. Interesting. They can't talk to employees or investors or... Sometimes not even to other founders because there might be competition or so on. So yeah, we essentially help people talk more about the thing that has changed in learning loop since I think the last time we spoke or the, you know, previously uh, maybe 2022 or 2021, when you came across learning loop is that I think I've always been obsessed with the intersection of for, for maybe a good over a decade and a half, because I've been really obsessed with the intersection of social personalization and learning. And learning in the form of consuming knowledge and doing something with it and so on. And I think over the past two years of iterating in learning loop, that kind of evolved slowly into the intersection of social personalization and mental health. Oh. So learning is there, but it became a subset of something bigger as opposed to just an intellectual exchange of people learning how to do stuff. Yeah. I would say right now our users are in learning loop to learn how to be. Because it turns out most of them do have the answers within them. It's just that there are feelings like fear, uncertainty, confidence, so on, that usually delays decision-making. And by getting attention from other competent people, it seems like that that's a huge multiplier. And I th- I would say I've also become a lot more focused on the choice of audience. So I think the last time we spoke, my, my eventual vision for Learning Loop is for it to help a billion people, you know, 10x their quality of life every year right. through a social learning platform. But right now, the question is, where do we start? I think the last time we spoke that we didn't have a specific starting audience. And right now it's only C to Series A founders, VC backed. And yeah. So is the mental health addition on this thing, is it based on your own personal experience or just on your, your interactions with, you said, what seed to Series A funded founders that are funded by venture capitalists? You know, we talk so much about how mental health is important, and yet everybody seems to talk about it sitting on a stage, do you know what I mean, with like some kind of presentation behind them. But no one seems to me before you've said that has really committed themselves to building that platform where people can actually go somewhere and talk to other people. You're right. Like I was in Miami 
a couple of weeks ago now and my sister who i hadn't seen in a while was like hey what are you doing what are you working on and stuff like that and like i, I could explain to her a thousand times what i was doing but she has no frame of reference for understanding it at all as not being a founder of something right it's just hard nobody gets yep. it anyway was it based on your own experience or just on a ton of conversations that you've had with other founders or, or kind of a combination of both you think it's a combination of both. It's based on my life experience, not only the founder experience, but yeah. generally seeing, just observing throughout my life, the difference between people who who can who have the opportunity to talk frequently versus people who don't. Yeah. So there's something special about being able to just talk and be heard and be able to think out loud in front of someone who just sits and listens and watches you. Yeah. And that is essentially, to me, that is the learning loop. And a lot of people, I don't think, have it. Uh, whether it's founders and I mean, I mean, if we put our business aside temporarily, there are many people who go through very difficult periods of life for months, for years. But if yeah. you ask them, how many people do you have in your life that you can talk to weekly that you've talked to this week and last week? Yeah. Most people say zero or one. Zero. Zero. Yeah. We, we want to make sure it's at least two and it's good ones. And I think there's also, a, there's, there are a lot of nuances to it because in the case of founders, founders are really competent people. They're the innovators when it comes to learning they're very good at filtering noise they're very judgmental when it comes to who they listen to right. and who they will talk to they're very protective of their time so there's this element of they filter they want to make sure they talk to other people who are also as competent as them or more competent right. but there's also this psychological safety of can i share or will it be used against me so for us to productize that and solve that through our design i think that that's something we've been doing well recently yeah i mean i think about this a lot I don't want to go all the way into this idea of depression, right? And I've been talking about this for a long time. When people say like, oh, I'm really depressed. Some of the time what they mean is I'm just really sad about something that happened to me. But if you're really depressed, like clinically depressed, your confidence levels, I think, evaporate. And that also means, I think at least for me, that your ability to share the things that are difficult for you are even more difficult because you're so unsure and you feel so unstable. Like, how do you productize that? You know, when, when I think about just future, like what are some problems that will be number one problems on everyone's minds 10 years, 20 years from now? Yeah. I think depression is going to be one. Loneliness is definitely going to be one. For sure. And these take a toll on so many things, on confidence. I mean, I, I came across this TED Talks a couple of years ago by this person in London who runs a futurism institute where they just look at different things, different trends in society. And they try to estimate if it keeps growing at a similar rate or slightly higher, right. where are we going to be in 20, 30 years? A few things that caught my mind and I haven't been able to stop thinking about them. One was in 2050, the population of pets will exceed the population of humans. The next one was record high depression, record high suicide rates, uh, yeah. record low number of intimate and romantic relationships. So that kind of seems like where the world is headed to. And I mean, it takes a toll on so many things, including confidence. But when it comes to a small group of users, like founders, context is the most important things. Like for a person to feel understood right. in a moment, to want to then share more, to want to open up, uh, it takes a great deal of matchmaking, with matching them with other people who are going to get them to set some, I guess, rules or frameworks for how to lessen, how to show up on a conversation. Yeah. You know... I've noticed as well recently that you've been posting like in a way that's kind of prolific. And I spend a lot of my time, at least my social, what is it called? My social media platform of choice is LinkedIn, right? I'm there every day, a lot of time, looking for things, reading things, trying to follow people. 
I follow you a lot. And I noticed, I don't remember when this started, but I got kind of envious because you started posting about, what are you calling it? A butter kaya breakfast meetup in Singapore. We talked about this offline, but I'm really envious because I want to go, but I don't live in Singapore. And the last time that I was in Singapore, I was so busy that I couldn't do it. But this has to be part of that too, right? It's like one component of this. And I mean, there's so many questions about this, but how does that fit into the thing that you're trying to accomplish? And is the group different every every two weeks? Is it consistent show up from people? Like, is it ever a, p- a point where like you're there with just like one of your buddies or is it always well attended? Like, how is this working out? That's a great question. I think maybe so there's a question of me writing more content and then hosting like breakfast and in-person events. Yeah. And also, you know, how, how do they fit into the business's growth? I would say we're building, so the product we're building is social by nature. Right. It's peer-to-peer coaching. So the value of this network that grows as more founders join it. Yeah. And to build a relation, and it's a matter of relationship building. We're facilitating conversations between founders. It's a very human thing. It's not a, I mean, tech facilitates, but at the end of the day, it's a very human thing. Very. So then the question is, do we want to build relationships only online or do we, try to build it offline too, and then bring some of it online. Right. So a big part of it is just that. Can we build some strong network effects on the ground? In this case, in Singapore, because I live in Singapore, because there are a lot of founders in Singapore. Can we build some network effects, some intimacy, some depth and trust and privacy and some high quality conversations on the ground, and then gradually convert some of it to, I guess, members of um, the learning of peer-to-peer coaching platform? Yeah. When it comes to the content that I produce, I would say there's, I mean, whether the events or the content, there's, there's two aspects to it. On the one hand, I think I've sort of aligned my intrinsic motivations and my extrinsic motivations, meaning the stuff I build at Learning Group is the stuff I actually stand for as a person. Right. So if the business is, doesn't exist and the money is not a thing at all, I would still want to write these things and I yeah. still want to run these events. But now I have an economic incentives for doing it as well. So yeah, they do feed each other. It's kind of my personal flywheel. It's my the, the company's growth flywheel. More people hearing about these conversations, whether they read on my LinkedIn, my blog, or in events, sign up more, more users. Yeah. Uh, we can we can and then they benefit from it. So yeah. I want to get back to the Kaya Breakfast thing really quickly because I do think that part of this idea of building an offline relationship and moving it online. I'm not going to make a value judgment as to whether it's better than building an online relationship first and then taking it offline. In a way, I'm not sure it matters so much. I'll leave that to the experts. But I do feel like we know so many more people today than we did before. And I'll leave today and before to be self-defined. And I think that actually adds to the loneliness in a way because you're never really connecting so deeply with anybody. And that's one of the reasons why like I've even thought about asking you if I could go to the Kaya breakfast remotely, but even then I just thought it's not going to be the same as being there face to face and it'll feel like an interruption in a way. Like if I'm there on a phone or something, do you know what I mean? It's not like really being there, but I do think that that adds to part of the loneliness. So the idea you're building this offline thing, again, seems kind of cool to me. Anyway, just, just an observation. I think part of that, I think part of that less online, I mean, less offline meeting up and speaking is leading to a lot of this, depression, lack of confidence, and, and loneliness as a category, no? I have come across research that says, for example, getting a hug from someone versus lower, like shaking hands, or do this, these physical interactions do yeah. add, you know, there's some neurochemicals that they do activate, and I don't know how different it is from like an online interaction. 
I mean, now I'm kind of thinking maybe I should run one of these events in Bangkok as well and bring the materials, bring the butter kaya. It's, I mean, there's butter there, but I, and there's probably kaya there as well. That's co- coconut jam. Some level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, we can. And then we do have users in Bangkok, so I think, yeah, we have more than enough for uh, having a meetup there. But the confidence part is, although I'm very conscious about it, like when you come to one of these events, that is not the things that, I mean, yeah, it's not the thing that stands out. So it's not that the audience is low confidence or yeah, yeah, no, depressed or lonely at all. Yeah, it's yeah, one yeah. of the, I guess we, we're aware that he does make that contribution, but most of like the founders who join these things or online or offline, the thing they have in common is that they're, I think, incredibly resourceful. Uh, all of them are VC backed. They're incredibly collaborative and helpful. And, you know, we try to just compound their growth through these uh, new human connections. Look, the reason why I brought up the posting that you do as well, I want to I want to just comment on that a little bit, is because I feel it's some of the most thoughtful stuff that I see, and I feel, like I said, I've been following you now for two or three years, I can't remember, and I feel like a lot of people talk about building in public, but I feel like you're building a company in public while you're also building yourself in public, and I think that those things intersect, if that makes sense, that's what I feel. Yeah. And I feel like as I read your stuff, you're thinking about it like deeply before you write it or maybe while you're writing it. And that's kind of cool too. And a lot of people's stuff like I see and I just like buzz past it. But I'm, whenever I see something that you're writing, I kind of click the read more button and it's long. You're never really just writing like, you know, my mom called me today and I said, hi, it's like, this is what I was thinking. And this is what the outcome of that thought process was. There's a lot there. And I mean, I'm learning a ton from it. So that's why I asked about why you keep doing it. Because I do feel like it's not just building in public, but it's like you growing and learning in public. Do you, is that purposeful as well? It is. And thank you for reading and for, I mean, your kind words. I owe a lot of my growth personally to writing. Um, and I think I have a feedback I've gotten many times in my life since childhood, whenever I would write something is that many people would perceive it as me trying to portray myself as an expert. Uh-huh. So oh, you're writing there. And whereas to me, it is, you don't write or publish a thought when it is perfect. You do it when you, at the beginning of the, the loop where, yeah. where Cause it comes at the to beginning you. of the curiosity. It comes yeah. to you and you're like, this is what I'm thinking. It's funny. I've never thought yeah. about you that way at all. Actually. I've thought about you as right. somebody with a deep level of humility, but it's like, this is what I'm thinking. Does anybody else have any ideas around this? And please share with me. No. Yeah, I think I, I'm happy. I'm happy that I come across that way. I would love to. I, I want to come across that way. I think there there's certain things that really intrigue me or interest me, whether work, life, whatever. I spend a lot of time thinking about them. I put them out there as like as fast as I have enough material to to tell the world about it. Right. To get feedback and get agreement and disagreements and whatever, so that and it will shape the next couple of weeks or months sometimes of that thought process until I'm suddenly at the point where I'm like, okay, now I kind of. I have a, def- I have a defensible opinion on this now, right? right. Uh, and now maybe that could, sometimes that could now be expertise. Um, the reason I'm, I, I, I do agree. I've been growing a lot over the past few years of through building this company. Like I think one of the most challenging parts of building a startup before there is any success or win, which is where we are right now. We're pre-product market fit. We have a lot of things to celebrate. I think we have a lot of users who are having wins through our platform and we celebrate those together right. but at the same time by the standards of a VC backed company i mean we 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 you know we we're, we're too young we still need to earn that right so one of the most challenging parts is what is that ratio between 
building in public versus just being quiet and keeping your head down and just working. Some people have this view that if you're, you know, you should just not talk and you should just be quiet and do the work. Some people are super talking about it all the time. Right. I don't think absolute silence is a good idea. It minimizes luck. Yeah, yeah. I think talking about it too much and to the point that you're not actually having any time to work, that's a problem too. Other than that, there's also this, I guess, character building that happens through building a startup where you're trying to really find your company's voice in the, in the world. Uh, and it's, there's so much content out there. There's so much noise out there. You kind of want to have this active feedback loop with people where you're actively pitching the company in a different way. Yeah. And yeah, I think maybe I took a year or so for just not creating a ton of content. I still can't articulate why, why? I didn't. I think it might have been... Hmm. I mean, maybe it might be easier to think why I'm posting so much now and then see if, you know, if that leads to that answer. Yeah. So I'm posting right now because I think every time I, I mean, on, the, on one level, operationally and tactically, when I post, there's a clear audience. I yep. know who my audience is. Yep. I am part of the audience too. And there are hard conversations that we have and I can share about them. And it's useful. And some people read what I write and maybe they join the company. I guess I'm also more confident in my in just admitting that I'm good at certain things. Yeah, it feels like it. Yeah, I'm. Look, I'm 28. I do think I've taken the past two years just going through a lot of imposter syndrome and to to realize, am I? Do I have the permission to say I am good at like X and Y and Z, or right. is it too much, or is it rude? You know, or you know, and it's not. It's not. And actually, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you said this because I felt like you were even today on this call. I felt like you were struggling a little bit to say you know what, I'm actually good at something. And because I feel now that I'm good at something, and remember when we met, you must've been 25 if you're 28 now, because it was two, three years ago, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the more you do something, the more comfortable you feel about it, the more you're like, no, no, I actually know something about this, but I know that there are things that I don't know. And the only way to fill in the gaps is by saying the things that I think they know and seeing if other people come back and say, yeah, that's right. Or actually it sounds right. But here's the other thing that you need to know to add on top of that. And if you never say anything, you can't get any feedback. And, and it brings up the other thing that you've said. You've said it twice already. and You kind of said it in passing, but I don't think you mean it in passing. You said it minimizes luck. Just talk to me about this theory you have about how interacting with other people increases luck. Mark Andreessen has a very good blog post on this from the early 2000s that I, I mean, I've always kind of implicitly believed this idea that you can create luck but that was the first time i saw someone create give a framework on how to do it i believe every time you tell the world i mean his framework the summary is that there are four ways to create luck. number one is just increased motion whatever you're doing you just go around shake hands with random people tell them what who you are what you do and you just do that more than um, just you do it once in a while and you're more likely to get lucky than people who do what you do but don't do that yeah exactly number two is you do the same, but you have an agenda. You go to specific places, shake hands with specific people and tell them what you do. Again, you're gonna increase your luck. Number three is, uh, I believe expertise. When you develop expertise in something, you're more likely to get lucky than someone passionate about same, some, the same thing, but without your expertise. And then the fourth one is if you're obsessed, obsessing over something full-time, because everyone who thinks of that thing, they will think about you. And if they come across something, they will forward it to you. And if they meet someone, oh, I know this guy, you should meet him or this girl, you should meet her. 
maybe it might have been the whole recession news and the layoffs that has happened around us and the fundraising getting harder for many founders around us. I mean, I haven't been fundraising recently, but to, it, it almost, I think maybe the first half of my founder journey, the first 15 months or the first 15, 18 months was this environment in which uh, I felt like you could go many weeks without anyone question, without asking anyone asking you, at least in my circles, you know, why aren't you growing fa faster? Or like, right. what is your biggest bottle? And stuff like that. So it just really felt like there was no strict feedback loop. And then the second half of it so far has been a lot more intense. Part of it might be because I really actively shifted some of my you know, social circles. Yeah. On the one hand, I've been learning more and we've been growing faster as a company. But on the other hand, I've also gained more confidence to say, hey, like there, there's this one or two things, right? I'm almost best in the world at because I've talked to everyone who's great in, in that field. Right. And in all of those conversations, it became one way in a way that they were asking me a ton of questions, taking notes instead of me having much to learn from them. Yeah. And in most areas of life, I, I will not say anything like that, but I think in maybe one or two areas, I'm like, no, it seems like I'm actually that good. Yeah. And it's, you know, why am I quiet about it? Why, why am I shy about it? I want to add one just kind of anecdotal story to this, if you don't mind. I remember reading a long time ago and I can't, I still can never get it out of my mind when people say like, you're so lucky or you're so fortunate. Fortune's different actually, but luck I do believe can be created. And I think it was Gary Player, who was a famous South African golfer. I think he actually won the Masters one or two times, if you're a golf fan. And I think somebody said to him, wow, that was a super lucky putt. You seem to have a lot of them like during this tournament. And he just looked back at them and was like, yeah, it's pretty amazing. The more I practice, the more lucky I get. I feel like it's, the, it's, it's at least some combination of those four things that Mark Andreessen wrote about. Yeah. In creating your own luck. It looked like you were going to say something. Go ahead. For sure. I think at this point, he bothers me if some good news is if i see someone who hears a good news about someone else and the first thing they say is oh they are lucky yeah intimidates me a lot it doesn't even have to be like about me it could be about anyone and so i, I don't i really don't tolerate it yeah. and i think that's also one of the things that as my confidence has increased over time i'm a lot more confident in calling people out if, if there are opinions that i don't agree with in southeast asia i think Particularly, it's a lot more common to see a, a, a lot of smart people that I've met in Southeast Asia are less collaborative initially than people maybe in like people who come from West Asia, Americas, parts of Europe. So it takes a lot more for a person, a smart person in Southeast Asia that I've met to accept to ask for help from others or to accept to open up and show vulnerability. Uh, and I think that's a period of missing out on luck yeah. because you're working and learning in a silo. Because you think no one can help you, and you, or for whatever reason it is. So I, I think luck is, yeah, to me, it's pretty serious. I, I, I like one of the LinkedIn articles that I wrote recently about being default alive as a company. This gentleman who reached out to me, we had coffee. Now we're actually going to work together on something that I'm very excited about. And again, it's like if I want to say, how did that happen? If I didn't write that post, right. that wouldn't have happened. Exactly. You know, it, that is that is luck. But I created it. Yeah. And again, like I wouldn't know you at all if I didn't have this podcast, right? Yeah. I just wouldn't know. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't know some of the other people that I know as well if I didn't have this show because it's a great way for me to reach out to people and figure out a way to learn something from them or add some value or whatever it is. But that's not lucky. That's like a lot of hard work in the background, just like you. I want to ask you about something else you posted because I feel like I learned something from this as well. And I spent a lot of Thank time you. thinking about this and it actually put something... 
into a format. Like I, I think a lot of people have all these thoughts, but they don't have a good format for expressing those thoughts to people. You reposted this thing that Peter Yang from Roblox posted about NVIDIA, right? Because I believe that the CEO of NVIDIA gave some speech somewhere or at their own conference. Do you want to talk yeah. about why that resonated with you so much that you felt like you had to repost it? Because I feel like this is so indicative. First of all, I feel like it's relevant to Learning Loop because you started with this idea, you went very far down that road, and then you're like, maybe I need to back up a little bit and go down another road. And I think that the, the honesty that that CEO had, where he was like, we had this client, we sold really hard to this client, we went back to them and we were like, look, we'll do this thing and we'll pay for this thing or whatever, but we're not going to do that anymore. And the company almost died. And this post was about it almost dying three times. But maybe you can tell me in your mind, like why that resonated so much with you. For sure. I think the favorite part of that video was when the founder of NVIDIA, I mean, NVIDIA is such a successful company. He said, I used to be successful until I started NVIDIA. And then he goes into all the right, all the failure stories and everything. I think there's a few things in that video that really, I, I watched it in the, like it was one of the first things I watched that morning when I saw it. Yeah. The fact that this is an immigrant, that means a lot to me. Yeah. Uh, the fact that this is a person who ran a company that, yeah, it was going to die and they were just really honest about it and they put themselves out there and there were a few very authentic relationships that actually saved them in a few times. And also the vision, how, how he thinks about, uh, I mean, how he's been thinking about the evolution of the value chain in there, in that hardware and AI industry. So to me, all of those are really inspiring. There's also this almost like two different generations meet where there's a generation that is graduating right now in Taiwan and they're super young and with whatever mental model. And there's this person who's like, don't walk, you have to run. Whether you're trying to find food or if you want to avoid becoming food, you have to run, you can't walk. Right. So there's that intensity that I really appreciate it. For me, I think there's maybe this, I've had an inflection point like last December, December 2022, where I feel like I just stopped being afraid of yeah. i don't know I, I wouldn't say afraid of failure but i do think i had some fears maybe like fear of disappointing someone or fear of losing some bets that i would take in the company but i think ever since any person or any piece of content that reinforces my intensity i love it i would want to keep feeding that part of me yeah look i think because that... i think this is a time i think this is a time where like many founders and founder friends of mine who that we start our companies at the same time, many of them, the companies are dead right now. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's a time where you kind of, when you see enough of that, uh, and I had seen my dad's business die a couple of years ago. So I think when you see enough of that, you become real at some point and you're like, you know what, like we, we, we have to increase intensity. We have to be less shy, whether it's a decision on cutting the burn rate or just like launching something or, you know, having a hard conversation with a team member, whatever, just got to do it. So, I mean, I mean, that's there right now. Here's the thing, if you almost die, right? Like if you survive cancer, you almost die at some point, or if you go bankrupt and survive, you have so yeah. much less fear because you're like, I've already been as low as I can possibly go. And I didn't die and it was painful, but I figured out how to deal with that pain. And then almost by definition, you should have less fear because it's no longer an unknown. And that's what humans I think are most, have most fear is if I do that thing, I don't know what's gonna happen to me, right? And now that you've been through, yeah. not you, but now that one's been through it, it just makes it a little bit easier, which again is why if you increase your intensity level, but also getting back to these things with, with Mark Andreessen, increase your motion, 
because in, by increasing your emotion, you always have more experiences and you should learn something from that. Like one of the things that I always say is I never turn down a first meeting. I had a meeting today with a guy. I had no reason to know him. Somebody made an introduction and both of us, when we got on the call, just said, why, why are we here? <laughs> like, what do you want to talk about? Because neither one of us planned this meeting. And when it was done, we were both like, I think there's something here we could do together. I, I wanted to do this one thing in inside my business and I've been f trying to find the right person to do it with. And I think wow. I found that guy today accidentally. That's crazy. Yeah, super crazy. It's quite interesting. Like I do agree with the part of what you said about, you know, like when you do something scary, then you, you become more confident and less scared. But I've noticed for myself, there's more to that. Like I, there were, there were some life experiences they had some years ago that we talked to a lot about it last time that to me were the scariest thing I've faced in my life. Nothing I first in the past two years of running this company has come close, but I did still become afraid of taking certain risks or like I had to almost kick myself out of comfort zone late last year. Yeah. And I was, again, I'm not, I'm like giving myself a really like minimum wage salary as a founder. It's not that I'm living a crazy lifestyle. It's not that I am spending my weekends doing anything other than building my company. But even with all of those, yep. thinking about work seven days a week, you know, all of the constraints, being a pre-product market fit startup, being surrounded by a lot of other founders, I felt like th th that that still, the still felt, felt like you have to fight mediocrity. I almost want to call it that. Yeah. Because the world by default, um, and I don't, I can't attribute it. Some of it might be, I don't, I don't want to speculate why there's this default. It almost feels like by default, the world is going to take you to a mediocre place yeah, unless you is. fight against it. It is. It is I it don't is. fully understand why it works that way. But yeah, I, this last December, I felt like I had to make drastic changes, even as a person who's gone through a lot. So let me share, let me share this. Let me share this with you as well. I do think that it, it bends toward mediocrity. I think part of the issue is comfort. I talked to one of my business partners and it almost feels like a regular cycle where like you're very, very, very intense, you're intense, you're intense, you're intense. And then it just starts to slide off a little bit because you get too comfortable, right? And your product maybe feels like it's in a good place or maybe your income has increased to a point where you don't feel like I'm, I'm going to die if I don't get another client kind of thing. And then you're like, wait a second, wait a second. The vision is to be something much bigger and better. I forgot about that, actually. I need to re-raise my intensity back up and maybe even higher than it was before. But I think it moves towards mediocrity and not just for company founders, but just in life because you just get too comfortable. I even think some of your interpersonal relationships can go that way too. You just wake up every day and everything seems like it's okay and you lose that intensity and you have to remind yourself every now and then, I need to be more intense. Yeah? I totally resonate with that. I want to ask you one more thing and then I'll let you go. You also reposted... This guy, what's his name? Victor Kyosev talked about reading Lee Kuan Yew's book. I should read it yeah. from third world to first because I'm at the age now, right? Where like my first time in Singapore was 1990. Wow. Yeah, just think about it. Just think about it for a second, right? I literally, I got off a plane from Tokyo in, in December, the end of December, the 27th to the 28th of December of 1990. And... It all started because my buddy Gary said to me, dude, we're going to go to Malaysia for vacation. And I was like, Malaysia might as well have been on Mars because I had no idea where it was, but I'm an adventurous person. So I was just like, done. And I was like, okay, where's Malaysia? 
And how do we get there? <laughs> so, so we had to go to, we had to go to Singapore first and, you know, back in 1990, Singapore was a great place, but it was nothing like it is today. And to be fair, it, I think Singapore was born in 1965 as a country. I believe so. I don't, I don't I should know. know better, but I believe so. Well, why don't we look it up? Let's just, let's just. Yeah. I know Malaysia is 1957. Ah, so it had to be after that, right? Because there was a little bit of a tussle, let's sure. just say. Singapore founding. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why this, yeah, August 9th, 1965. Okay, and this is why I was thinking about this. I think this may surprise you. I was born on July 3rd, 1965. So, oh, wow. so Singapore is my age. And when I got to Singapore in 1990, it was almost 25 and so was I. Actually, I was already so 25 and so was Singapore. So I feel like in a way I've grown up with it. It's iterated a lot in its life and so have I. But even back then, it seemed miraculous what Singapore mm. had accomplished in 25 years. And in the ensuing almost now 30 years, it's accomplished more. Have you, like, do you feel that when you're in Singapore? You reposted it. So you must have thought something about this. What was your thought there? I've been watching Lee Kuan Yew videos daily for like, these past few months. I think it's just on my YouTube recommendation and I just keep watching at least one a day for, for I think it's been a, actually a couple of months. I sense it for sure, I think in Singapore, I mean, I come from Iran and I think Iran is at a phase where it's having all these political issues and so on. And I think it's almost a leadership vacuum. So to see, to be in a place that, I mean, I appreciate a lot of things in Singapore that I think many of my Singaporean friends don't automatically even see until we talk about it and then yeah, they get but they distracted. can't right it's not in a way it's not fair to them right because it's, they grew yeah, up yeah it's yeah it's fair that's completely fair i mean there's actually no expectation like for example the idea that when you're crossing you want to cross the road and you know there are sometimes i mean you can trust the green light and red light yep yeah <laughs> to me that coming from a developing country that's a big deal it, well it's, it's super because i live in bangkok. Like, i live in bangkok course. where i say like stoplight and what do i say traffic signals are optional <laughs> they're there but they're just options yeah. anyway go ahead or the fact that when you want to pay tax you get it you scan a qr code and you pay your tax and then it's just you don't need to go to an office yeah. or the security or i mean the cleanliness the, these things and even like when i watch singaporean politicians you know at the united nations speaking or debating or even internal politics i mean there's a level of order and literacy and yeah. the, to to think that a one human of course it was a whole system but to think one human built a system and sets values and laws in specific ways that avoided corruption for this long. But also, for, but also for himself. In other words, there are many stories about foreign governments, foreign entities, the CIA, trying to corrupt Lee Kuan Yew and his compatriots with money, lots of money, right? Because they had tons of money. And he was just like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And that's hard work, man. It is hard work. And even like things like the, I mean, I was listening to him talk about him wanting to make sure that every citizen gets a stake in this country by owning a property that's worth at least at 300,000 bucks. Yeah. I mean, that is a level of thinking uh, that, that I find pretty crazy. I don't think there are a lot of countries in the world with, with this. I don't think there are a lot of countries whose leadership is this intelligent, to be honest. Yeah, not even close. Uh, not just Lee Kuan Yew, but even like the current politicians in Singapore. So I'm very conscious about it. I think we're very conscious about it. And my friends and I talk about this stuff frequently. Because yeah. I think we are a very globalized group. We come from different countries. We've traveled a lot. A few friends went to San Francisco recently for the first time right. and came back. 
and they couldn't stop talking about Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> they're like they're holding on think, for dear life, right? Like I, I thought I wanted to live over there, but I think I'm just gonna stay here, kind of thing. No, this it's, it's funny. Like they would, yeah, they went to San Francisco, came back. We would, we would take the bus or train. They're like, wow, it's so clean. <laughs> yeah. So again, but but again, so despite coming from a developing country, appreciating Singapore, I almost rem remind myself that not just Singapore, but anything, any place, any stage of life, any stage in the company's growth that feels good, we could take it for granted. Yeah. We kind of need to trigger reminders to, to not get comfortable. So Singapore has been great, but I guess these days I think a lot about, okay, like how do I make it better for myself or people that I interact with? And, you right. know, I think, if, yeah, maybe, maybe for more people. Okay. I'm going to let you go. I, this was a killer conversation for me. I really appreciate you doing this. We should do this more often. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll offer this Thank to you, you so as well. much. No, no, it's my pleasure. I'll offer this to you as well. No, the pleasure is mine. I think it's funny that when we, when I bumped into in, in Bangkok for the first time, because for context for people listening or watching, uh, I live in Singapore. Michael lives in Thailand and I happened to be in Bangkok one day and I bumped into Michael out of nowhere. And I was shocked. And I, for like five minutes, I kept saying, I can't believe you're like, I'm seeing you. But Michael was super chill, just telling me about podcasts, telling, about, telling me about his day. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm really glad we could do this. And I hope that your audience will have a good time listening. I hope my answers were not too long to some of your very first You're welcome here anytime. Thanks for doing it again, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great rest of the day.